All right, are you ready for the word today? It's been our, it's been our topic, uh, it's been our focus, it's been our objective um, for us to be able to do more than just read the Bible, but, but to love the Bible, amen? To follow what the Bible says, as a pastor, I'm always trying to lead you to places that allow you to thrive, and I truly believe with my whole heart that if we embrace uh, the living word of God and, and, and just apply it to our daily lives, that our lives will be changed forever. Uh, we are, we're on the brink of initiating uh, some, new, some new things that we're going to announce within the next few weeks uh, that are going to really um, just are, are aligned with this objective of being able to be uh, doers of the word. Uh, our small group this semester is going through a, a book on how to apply the Bible, how to analyze it, look at it, and then be able to see what God was saying then and see what he's saying to me through the text. So I am I, just uh, overly excited for what God is doing in this season. And I truly believe that if we tap in, God is going to do something just phenomenal in our lives. Amen? If we embrace his word, the truth is that it will change every aspect of our lives. It changes every aspect of our lives. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said, I shared this with you in week one, that those who hear my voice or hear my words and are able to obey them, that I, I will liken him to a man who built his house on a rock. And when the storms of life came, that house was still standing. It was because of the foundation that it had been built on. But if you don't obey my words, Jesus said, he goes, you'll be like a man who built a house on the sand. Same materials, just a different foundation. And the storms, the same storms that hit the other house came to this house, but this house, the Bible says, great was its ruin because of the foundation. And I want to tell you, I've learned that we are all going to go through stuff. But we will go through stuff with God or without God. And I, I'm telling you, I want you, I want us to be going through whatever we have to go through in life with him. Because we can come out on the other side if, we, if he is our foundation. Amen? You can go, you can experience. That's why you'll see people go, you'll see, uh, you could compare and, I, and see the uh, identical situations and two different responses from the people. And it has nothing to do with the individual because none of us are better than any of us. But the fact is that the foundation, I'm still standing today because God didn't allow me to lose my mind. I'm still standing today because God held me together when I felt I was overwhelmed and when I felt it was too much. I, I'm still standing. Are there any survivors in the house today? Is there anybody that's been through some stuff and said, I'm still standing not because of who I am. I'm still standing because my house is built on the rock that is Jesus. What you go through doesn't have to take you out. So let's jump in. Week number three, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 35. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Do you believe that today? 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject, the authentic word. And I want to provide you today with seven key points that just remind us, that reinforce the fact that the Bible is the living word of God. Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away. That even though we live in a time where man will try to deconstruct it, when man will try to criticize it, when, when man will try to pick and choose what, what is, this word will last forever. So I want to speak to you on these seven convincing truths. And the first one is this, the Holy Bible, because the word Bible is another word, is, is the word book. But it's not just any book, it is the Holy Bible. Is historically accurate. And now there are a lot of people in this life that will say the Bible has a lot of good principles. And that it does. And it is, but it is supported by the fact that not only does it have good principles, we know the Bible to be true because it is historically accurate. A lot of people will say, some people will say some, the principles are right. But there are people that will say, the stories, I don't know if I believe them because they're just not humanly possible. Like Jonah, it's not humanly possible to live in the belly of a well for three days. And I would agree, it's not humanly possible. But neither is a virgin birth. Neither is a resurrection. But it's not what man can do. It's what God can do. So while it's humanly impossible, what is impossible for man is possible for God. I put my faith in the fact that God said it and it has to be true. Watch what David said in Psalms 33 verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. It is right and true. So it's not just true. It is right. It is accurate. It's not made up. So the question is, how can you prove that something is historically accurate? I'm glad you asked. There is this rubric, this measure that is called the historical accuracy standard. And historians use this. This is not solely for uh, the Christian world, but this is in the history sense. It is called the, history, uh, the historical accuracy standards. And it says that there has to be three things for it, something to be historically accurate. And the first is this. It ha there have to be eyewitness accounts. People who were actually there. And the Bible is full of these examples. Take the Gospels, for example. You have the four uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four people, they're all with Jesus, different backgrounds. Luke was a physician. Uh, they all have different, di different crafts uh, that they specialize in. And they all are there, but they write from their own perspective. Now, yes, John includes some things that are not included in the other gospels, but you can see that the stories match. They didn't collaborate. They didn't, they didn't get together and say, hey, what are you putting here? What are you writing? They just wrote it based off of their perspective, and yet they all share the same accounts. Man didn't do that. God did. 
So there have to be eyewitness accounts. The second thing is, is that they have to, it has to be recorded and copied with extreme care. Recorded and copied with extreme care. And God tasked the Jewish nation to provide us with the word of God. And, and, and it's so incredible to see that there are some of the most meticulous researchers, scribes in the entire world. For example, take the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. When they were translating that, they didn't just translate it word for word. No, they, they actually went in there and translated it letter for letter. And they knew what the middle letter was. And they would translate. When they would translate, they would count the numbers to the right. They would count the numbers to the left because they knew what the middle letter was. And if it didn't match, they would scrap that and start all over again. That's how intentional they were. They repeated this until it was precisely accurate. And it is one of the most meticulous, most careful standards to be able to translate. And they took back, and while some people will say, well, it, it's lost its translation, and it didn't really say that. No, they've gone back to the original text. I shared with you in week one. They go back to the original manuscript and then are able to translate. So it has to be, number one, you have to have the eyewitness accounts. It has to be recorded and copied with extreme care. And the, the third thing is this. For it to be historically accurate, there, have to be, there has to be archaeological confirmation. Archaeological confirmation. The empires, the nations, the people that we read about in the Bible, that are found in the Bible, there have been archaeological digs that confirm that these people truly were there. And it matches the time frame. There was one exception. There was one group of people that for 1,900 years, historians thought, well, maybe uh, there, that wasn't completely accurate. The, and maybe the Bible missed, missed that. And it was the Hittite nation that they could not find. And it was not until the early 1900s. So for 1,900 years, they were looking. And then in the early 1900s, uh, there was an archaeological dig that confirmed they made a discovery. And guess what nation it was? That's right, the Hittite nation. Everything that was said in the Bible was confirmed. The Bible is true. And not only is it true, it's right. Amen? The second thing is this, the Holy Bible is scientifically accurate. Not only is it historically accurate, it's scientifically accurate. People, you've heard it, especially during COVID. People say we have to trust the science. But the fact is that science evolves. The science textbook that I studied when I was in sixth grade is no longer relevant for this day and age. It is obsolete. Science evolves, but truth stays the same. Truth stays the same. Psalms 148, 5 and 6 says this. Let every created thing give praise to God for he issued his command and they came into being. There wasn't an explosion and all of a sudden man was there. No, in the beginning God. He issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. That means they'll never be overturned. It'll never change. That's God's word. In the Luth Observatory, which is a research institute in Paris, 
There is three and a half miles worth of science books that are no longer relevant, that no longer apply. So they're just stored there. There was a book written in 1861 by the French Academy of Science that listed 51 facts that, that they said that, that the Bible is wrong. Scientific facts that would say that the Bible is wrong. And every single one of those facts have been controverted. They admitted they were wrong and the Bible is right. And yet the Bible, a book that was written over thousands of years ago, is still true today. Not only is it what the Bible does say about science, but it's also what it didn't say. I'll give you a few examples. One of those was, you'll remember here in, in, in school, if you went to school, if not, if this is your first time hearing it, this is great, that's great as well. You heard that the earth was flat. You had the explorers, Galileo, you had Columbus, who had this theory that if you sailed to the edge of the earth, that you would eventually fall off. But if they would have consulted the Bible, Years before, Isaiah wrote this, God sits enthroned, he's still on the throne today, above the circle of the earth, above the circle of the earth. The word circle comes from the word sphere, where we get the word globe. So while man had their theory, it was forever settled in God's word. Another, another was this, that the earth had to be held up. Some of the Greeks believed that the atlas, that, that the world, should I say, rested on Atlas's shoulders. You, you've seen pictures of this, I'm sure. Some of the Egyptians believed that the earth was held up on five pillars. But watch what Job said in Job 26 and verse 7. He, talking about God, spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Over nothing. That's how awesome our God is, that he could speak it into existence. And nothing has to hold it up. His very word holds up the earth. How did Job know this? Well, could it be that Job didn't write the Bible? It was God that wrote it. Another one was this, that the number of the stars could be counted. Hipparchus, around 150 B.C., in his research, counted the stars, and he said this. Are you ready? He said there was a, approximately 850 stars. Some years later, around 150 A.D., Ptolemy said no. That's not right. There's 1,022 stars. We know that's not the case. They cannot count the stars. To this day, there's approximately 200 billion trillion stars. A much different number than 1,022. But if they would have consulted Jeremiah, they would have found out that the stars of the sky cannot be counted. 
It's not man's word, it's God's word. I'll, can I give you one more? Yeah. Another scientific belief. Oh, I only got like 20% of y'all, but I'm still going to share it, okay? <laughs> Another scientific belief was this, that too much blood made you sick. Hippocrates, who was the father of medicine, who was known as the father of medicine, said that when infection or sickness comes into your body, there were four things that, needed to get to, that you needed to get rid of or get out of your body for that infection to leave. Yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. So it was a practice, a scientific practice, a med uh, medicinal practice that if you would cut yourself, that as, the as, as you would lose blood, that that infection would leave, that sickness would leave your body. While, while there's, it's not confirmed or it's not uh, for sure, but what we do know of our first president, George Washington, is he was, he, he did undergo this, that on his deathbed that he lost about 40% of his blood because he was releasing that because it was thought at that time that the blood leaving the body meant that sickness is leaving your body and he ultimately died. But if they would have gone to Leviticus 17 and, four, and 11... What does it say? For the life of the body is in its blood, which is why we know today that if you begin to lose blood in a hospital, they immediately bring more blood and, and are able to replenish the blood you lose through transfusions. But the Bible said it long before science said it. Because the Bible is true. That's why the Bible says, and the words of the Lord are flawless. Like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. His word is flawless. That's why when we get up here every Sunday and every time we have the opportunity to preach, to speak, it's not what John says. It's not what Pastor Israel says. No, I'm not going to give you opinions. I'm not going to get into politics. It is God's word. And God's word only that can change and that can transform. And his word is true. The third thing is this, that the, the Holy Bible, the Bible that we believe is prophetically accurate. More than 1,000 prophecies are in Scripture. 300 about Christ alone. And, and not just vague prophecies, but very specific. He'll ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. David in the Psalms, wrote about the crucifixion, Psalms 22, long before crucifixion was even a method of execution. The Bible is accurate. The Bible is true. Specific prophecies, and every single one has been fulfilled. And there's still some that are yet to come. When you look at the book of Revelations, the Bible is true, always true. One particular researcher named Dr. Peter Stoner who studies probability, the likeliness of something taking place, broke it down in, in this way. He said, one person fulfilling eight prophecies 
is like one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a big number right there. Eight prophecies. You're like, how big is that number? Well, one particular pastor put it this way. He said, if you took a silver dollar and if you wanted to place that many silver dollars in one location, you would have to take the great state of Texas. And through the entire state, put silver dollars two feet deep. That's a whole lot. Y'all know how big Texas is, right? It's, it's 14 miles from Texarkana to El Paso. 14 hours. Did I say 14 miles? That'd be crazy. 14 hours. Let the record state. 14 hours. I can be like in three different states in that amount of time. But that's just to fulfill eight prophecies. So you take one person fulfilling 16 prophecies, and that is one in tenth to the 45th power. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies, and one is one out of ten to the 157th power. There is no explanation for that except that God wrote this book. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 21 says, for, uh, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, look at this, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. John said this in the book of Revelation. This is in the last book on the last page, Revelation 22 and 6, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. His word is forever settled. The fourth thing is this. The Holy Bible is thematically unified, which means that you look at other religions, their, their book was written typically by one person. One person. But yet the Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries in three continents by 40 people in three different languages. And how did they all get the same story? This many people writing without contradiction and all about Jesus. Luke 24 and 27 says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It all points to one person. It all points to one person, and his name is Jesus. The next thing, the fifth thing, and I got seven and I'm on. And I'm done. The Holy Bible is trusted by Jesus. Whatever he says is right, is right. Whatever he says is wrong, is wrong. 
Matthew 5.18 tells us this, For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You can deconstruct the Bible, but what good does that do you? We can't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. We can't pick and choose what we believe and what we don't believe. It's the whole counsel of God. Not just some of it is true, all of it is true. All of it is true. If you take portions of the Bible of what you believe and and you take what you like in the Bible, but then you don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but it's rather yourself that you trust. And that's a very dangerous place to be. I'll say that one more time. If you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but it's yourself that you're putting your confidence in. The sixth thing is this. The Holy Bible has survived all attacks. All attacks. To this day, still being attacked. And the question begs, Why was it attacked in the first place? To this moment, the Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, despised, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. But while It's being attacked. It still endures. It still endures. Thousands of years later, it is still here today. And it will be here if God tarries long after. And there have been very smart people, studious people, researchers, like the French philosopher Voltaire, who lived in the 18th century, he, he's famous for the quote that he said, and I quote, within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. And the only thing forgotten has been that quote. <laughs> Why? Because the Bible says that the grass withers and the flowers, they will fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Seasons will come and go. Times will change. People will change. Opinions will change. Perspectives will change. But one thing you can be certain of is that God's word will remain the same forever. So we got to ask ourselves some questions before I get to the last point. Will I attack God's word or will I live by it? Will I deconstruct it or will I defend it? 
And the last one is, will I follow the world or will I follow the word? His word remains forever. The last thing is this, that the Bible that we believe has life-changing power. Life-changing power. You don't need to have a preacher say this. You've lived this. You've experienced it. You know what it's like to get up in the middle of the night. When fear wants to overtake your body and you go to Psalms 91, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know what it's like to be fearful and say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? You know what it's like to know, to, be, to, to have anxiety attack your body and for you to say, I, I'm not going to lose my mind. I have the helmet of salvation. The Bible has life-changing power. Jesus said this in John 8, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. His word can set you free today because his word changes. His word can find you, can change you, can locate you right where you're at. And he can change you today. And the thing is that that sometimes the situations doesn't change, but the perspective changes. His word can change you today. I share this often in Matthew 14 when the disciples are in a storm on the boat. The Bible says that Jesus comes walking to them. Alarmed and afraid and scared. They say, it's a ghost. But Jesus said this. He said, fear not, it is I. Fear not, it is I. The storm did not stop. The rain still came down. The wind was still blowing. The waves were still crashing. But the fact that Jesus had spoken the word. The situation may not always change. But the fact that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That when I walk through the fire, you will be with me. And when I go through the flood, it will not overtake me. That that I know that that when the enemy comes in like a flood, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is going to raise a standard against him. That I can know, uh, that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that no weapon uh, that is formed against me uh, will prosper. That I can know that I may be going through chaos and hell, but he works all things together for good for them that love him. That I can know. That I can know that his word changes me. That when he walks in uh, late in the midnight hour and says, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I want to tell you, his word can change you today. His word can find you where you're at today. His word can liberate you today.
So maybe you're holding on to hurt. I want to invite you to stand. Maybe you're holding on to resentment. Maybe, the, maybe it's unforgiveness that you haven't been able to let go of his word. Not my word, his word can change your life today. When he walks in the situation, everything changes. Father, we need you to walk into some situations today. We need you to walk into some hearts today and some minds today. Some of us are struggling, God. Some of us have been put through the ringer, God, but we are trusting in you today that you are our portion. You are our strength. That you're our strong tower that, that we can run to you and be safe. So right now, God, that your word would locate us. You're the one person that can say the same thing to all of us, but say something different to each of us. That your word would find us right where we're at, in our hurt, in our pain, in our tears, in our loss, in our frustration, in our annoyance. That your word would find us right now in our sickness, in our depression, in our anxiety. That there is nothing in this world that can escape the power of your word right now. <laughs> My God. My God, that you would come in. Flood our hearts and flood our minds. That we would turn to you. That when faced with the cross, in the crossroads of life, that we would be able to say, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? God, I thank you that your word is true today and will always be true. I thank you that your word is forever settled. So right now we stand on your word. In dark circumstances, when faced with resistance, we stand on your word. Your word will last forever. Father, right now, and I thank you that your word clearly articulates and outlines to us that you are the one that will leave the 99 for the one. So with every head bowed and every eye closed right now, you're, you're here and you're carrying shame and you're carrying guilt. You're carrying hurt. Jesus said, you can come to me. If you're heavy laden, if you're burdened, and I will give you rest. There's someone in this place today that God is chasing after. He is pursuing you. He's coming after you. He says, I love you too much to leave you where you're at. And you say, today's the day. Today's the day that I give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of trying to figure things out on my own. I'm trying 
to do things my own way. I say yes to you, Jesus. I open up my heart. I'm going to invite you, if that is you, with every eye closed, every head bowed, would you raise your hand right where you're at? I see you. I see you. I see you. Our hands going. <laughs> he loves you that much. He loves you that much. <laughs> he comes after you. So I'm going to invite everybody at the sound of my voice to pray with me. If you raise your hand, we want you to know that you don't have to walk through life alone, that we are here to come alongside you and to believe for God's best and brightest over your life. So would everyone, will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, for loving me when I was unlovable. I surrender to you. I open my heart, come in, be the Lord of my life, and let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for everybody that received him today? The Bible says that the angels rejoice, but God's people rejoice also.